Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... really take the time to talk with a lot of people about this there's a bravado on the outside and after five minutes it turns to tears because so many people are so confused they are just in shackles over this and Jesus Christ loves this world so much that he came into the mess and the confusion and we might not figure all of life out but we can by the power of the Holy Spirit live out what he's made clear to us by seeking the Lord. God's love offers freedom from the shackles of confusion brought on by sin. Jesus came into our mess to release us from the chaos our depravity brought into this world. But unless we respond to His love by seeking Him for answers, we cannot receive the power to overcome the effects of our depravity. In our time with Pastor Jim, we'll learn to go to the Lord to receive His righteousness. When we depend on Jesus, we're set free from living for ourselves or trying to be good apart from his provision. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part three of his message entitled, How Do I Find God in This Confusing World? Verse 22, look at this. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. He's like, don't get all tweaked when people say stuff about you because you do the same thing. Now remember, the audience could be young emerging leaders. Guys, he's talking to guys. We're going to see that in a second, ladies. Hang on. For many times, okay, again, verse 22, also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. All this I have proved by wisdom. I said I will be wise. He's determined to be, but it was far from me. Some versions say it was beyond my grasp. So here's the wisest guy in the earth telling us what? Human wisdom is limited. It's only going to take you so far. Remember, one of the curses of our generation, of every generation, is we think we're smarter than the people before us. We're not smarter than Solomon. We're not. Verse 24, as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, we might say, as for that which is confusing, who can find it out? And we're all supposed to go, no one. No one can figure it out. Nobody's figured it out yet, right? So we all sin. I meet sometimes people, and they don't want to admit that they're sinners. And I say, do you ever have anything in your conscience that you knew you did that was bad? And they go, yes. I go, well, you're a sinner then. Okay. Now, knowing that you're a sinner actually helps you find God. Denying that you're a sinner helps you miss God. And those who fear God, those who revere God, those who stand in awe of God, know that God knows the truth. It's not like you're pulling one over on him. Right? People are like, oh, I'm such a good person. God's like, eh, no, you're not. <laughs> right? So stop pretending. Start knowing yourself. And he says, if you do, you'll find that God gives wisdom. He gives a powerful wisdom to those who are willing to admit that they need God's wisdom and they need God's help. The Bible calls this wisdom from above. A wisdom that is strong enough to direct our thoughts, our will, our speech, 
our actions, our very own lives. For some of us, the first Bible verse we ever had to memorize back in the day, they used to have us memorize Bible verses before there was 9,000 versions, and now we're just kind of throwing them all into one. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because you're not always right. Any of you always right? Let me talk to your wife, all right? (laughs) In all your ways acknowledge him, the Lord, and he, the Lord, shall direct your paths. So in the midst of this, King Solomon giving some great counsel to these leaders. He's calling into effect that we all get tweaked when people say stuff about us. But what does he say? Don't let everything people say about you get you off the path. It's just one of those things God uses to reveal our pride. He says, even your servants. Now you're like, I don't have servants. I'm exempt. Well, if you own a business or you're a boss, what about your employees? You know, oh, you're such a great boss. Then they're at the water cooler. What a jerk. (laughs) People you helped, right? They love you. They love, oh, you're so great. They love you, right? And then all of a sudden, a few months later, you're not helping them like you were before? Oh, well, yeah, so much for that person. Well, you know. Every pastor knows this. You get people, they come and, 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 they, and they leave and, and they have a lot of stuff to say about you. And meanwhile at home, you have a file full of cards from them. People who often thought you were the greatest thing in the world until you didn't do what they wanted again. They'll criticize you. It happened to Jesus. Why would you think it wouldn't happen to you? No charge for this one. Don't count this against my time. Don't be like, I talk for four hours and 15 minutes. I'm, you know, credit me five minutes on this, two minutes. If you want to be a leader, you need to get over people's criticism of you. You need to learn to move on. You know the old expression, you eat the chicken and you spit out the bones, right? Take what they tell you that's worth something and digest it and make changes if need be or make adjustments, But the silly stuff, the stuff that's not true, the arrogant attitude, the lies, you need to get rid of that and throw it out. And don't walk around in bitterness, because here God says, hey, listen, you've done it too. It's not just them. Now, it's helpful to understand that criticism, again, this doesn't count on my time, it's helpful to understand that criticism often says more about the speaker than it does about the person being critiqued. Criticism of others will tell you a lot about your own heart. And a lot of times, criticism, if you're trying to do something, you're trying to accomplish something, you're going to learn that criticism comes from people who don't want to do anything. But somehow they think that the criticism exempts them from doing anything. Well, I would if they. You wouldn't. You're lazy. Just admit it. You're lazy. You know, some people, people say, like, you know, in Christianese with that Christian talk that people have, like, you know, I don't, I don't serve. I have the gift of discernment. I'm always like, oh, you mean you're a jerk. <laughs> right? You know, oh, I have an idea. You know, I have the gift of criticism. <laughs> oh, please. But let's be honest with ourselves. We all fail here. Solomon's not saying it's okay, it's just saying it's a reality of life that we have to face that so few of us really know ourselves. I think of when we go on outreaches, we try to meet people, and you know, usually I'll ask them, hey, what can you tell me about Jesus? Figuring that most people know nothing about him, they'll just tell me this 
story. And, and then I'll just be able to say, hey, do you mind if I tell you what the Bible teaches? And so a big one is uh, that they'll say he died on, our cross for our, died on the cross for our sins. Now, usually I'll ask people to explain what they think that means because then I'll get to explain what the, what the Bible teaches that it means. But a lot of times people will say he died on the cross for our sins, and I'll go, okay, are you a sinner? It's very interesting to listen to the answers. A lot of people go, no. <laughs> right? Or the classic, uh, well, everybody is. <laughs> right? But the correct answer is, I'm very much a sinner, and I need help. And Jesus came and helped me. Or I'm willing to, to hear about the one who came to help me. You see, Christian holidays that we celebrate really expose our sin. They really do. Christmas totally exposes our sin. You're like, ah, oh, now he's going to tell us no Christmas trees and presents. That's not what I'm talking about. The fact that God had to become a man and live a perfect life in our place because we could not exposes our sin. The cross, Good Friday, we call it, totally exposes our sin. You ask people who don't even know Jesus, tell me about Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins. Why did he have to die on the cross for our sins? Because we are sinners. It's not because we sin that we're called sinners. It's because we're sinners that we sin. There'll be no Easter for anyone who doesn't put their trust in Jesus. It's been well put. It's an old expression. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are not the problem. The problem is, is that Dr. Jekyll is Mr. Hyde. They're the same guy. That's the problem. They're the same guy. 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then the most difficult part of the Bible for me to believe, he adds, of whom I am chief. I want to go, I don't know about you. I mean, do you know anybody who sins more than you? If you do, you are so prideful. I mean, you are so prideful. Because what goes on in your head? I mean, really, when you think of God knows everything that goes on in your head, I mean, you might have to edit the, seed, the recording on this, but you're in deep doo-doo, man. I mean, really. I mean, I have no idea what went on in the Apostle Paul's head, but I know what goes on in mine, and I have no problem calling myself the chief of sinners. You probably have no problem calling me the chief of sinners either. <laughs> but do you know yourself? Do you really know how much grace you need? So how do we find God in such a confusing world? First, we fear God and live wisely. Secondly, we find yourself and live wisely. Third, we find God and live wisely. We were talking about this the other night. Uh, we really have to stop reading our Bibles like it's our horoscope. I mean, some people read their Bible and their horoscope every morning. Did you know that? But the more spiritual read their Bible like it's a horoscope, right? And they ditch it. I mean, we're going to stop opening up our Bibles. Remember, the, um, I don't know if they, they probably still have those goofy things, those things called Ouija boards. You know, people put their Bible out, like, you know, <laughs> expecting that God is going to, everything is about, you know, what am I going to do today? And, you know, who am I going to marry? And what's my job? And, you know, which way does God want me to drive to work today? And what kind of sandwich should I eat at lunch? No, we, we want to find God and, and live wisely. Verse 26, he said, I applied my heart, so he's thinking again, to know, to search, and to seek out wisdom, 
and the reason of things to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. You might say he's, he's got his Bible in one hand and his observation eyes are on the lookout in the other hand. Verse 26, and I find from reflecting more bitter than death, the woman. Oh, it's always the woman, right? Remember, he's a guy. I mean, it's really easy. This is what guys do. We're the worst, right? You know, oh God, it's that babe you gave me, man, in my life, right? That's what you say. I never say that, but that's what you say, okay? <laughs> Get in trouble here. The woman whose heart is, is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. Fetters are not like what you see on a duck or a bird. That's fetters. Um, fetters are chains on your feet, shackles. But that's what sin is, right? It often starts as something that seems okay, that seems fun, right? Nobody ever tries drugs for the first time and goes, when their friend's like, come on, man, try it, try it, try it. Nobody's like, yeah, great, I think I'll become a drug addict. That's not the way it works. People don't take a few drinks and go like, oh, great, I'll become an alcoholic. Or like, oh, a little bit of pornography, man, I'll become a porn addict or something. That's not the way it works. And so he says, the woman, it could be anything, whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, right? The, the addiction, the whatever it is. What happens with an addiction that wisdom is no longer in control, wickedness is? And the Bible has a, has a one-word answer to that, flee. Flee. And look what he says here. He who pleases God, he who finds God, or we might better Better say, who is found by him, who lives for him, flees. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. If you know anything about wisdom literature, often wickedness is pictured as a, as a woman, but so is wisdom. Again, it's a guy speaking of guys. Verse 27, here's what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. He's basically like, I found it, but I couldn't find it. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly this only I have found. And then he gives us the conclusion that God made man upright. That's from the book of Genesis. But they have sought out many schemes. So he's telling us the problem with the confusing world is not God, it's us. Even if we, we want to control the world, right? And even if we could control the world because of the way we are, we'd mess it up because the human tendency is to run from God to sin instead of to God from our sin. Now, a lot of people will say, well, look, I, the Bible is too sexist for me. I mean, he, he, he blames the the woman, but that was his vice, man. That was his thing. And if you want to blame women, you can do that. Just don't read the Bible. Because <laughs> the dudes are way worse in the Bible than the women are, especially King Solomon. 700 wives, 300 girlfriends on the side. Do you think at this point this man has any ability to be intimate? Any ability. Zero. Zero. Women have become objects to him. They are not, they, he, he doesn't have a wife to love and to cherish and to represent God to and to help him live for, 
God and to help her live for God. He, that is lost on this guy. Sexuality, our society is just immersed into it. So many people, that is their identity. And so many people are confused. If you really take the time to talk with a lot of people about this, there's a bravado on the outside. And after five minutes, it turns to tears. Because so many people are so confused. They are just in shackles over this. And Jesus Christ loves this world so much that he came into the mess and the confusion. And we might not figure all of life out, but we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live out what he's made clear to us by seeking the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.29, Moses talking to the people of God. He says, but from there, but from where? It's actually a prophecy of sin. When God's people go so far off the deep end, he says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So here's what, what King Solomon is really teaching us in this passage. He's teaching us what we call the do- one of the few things that every branch of Christendom agrees on. He's teaching us the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity means, people think, well, I'm totally depraved. It doesn't mean that you're not as bad as you can possibly be. That's not what the doctrine teaches. The doctrine teaches of total depravity is that without the grace of God, you will never get to God. Now, within Christianity, there's a debate about how much grace you need, where your point of of responsibility comes in, right? Right? Well, let the theologians debate that stuff all the time and let's just follow God. Now, when we talk about the fact that of total depravity, that you need the grace of God to get to God, you'll hear a lot of people say, I don't like that. And if that's you, I'm going to tell you the reason you don't like it is probably, now some people say, that's your pride, but it's probably because you don't understand it. You don't understand it. The doctrine of total depravity is one of the most freeing and wonderful doctrines that exists because it shows you to get to God, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. It depends upon the grace of God. So I don't have to worry at night when I wake up at two o'clock in the morning, man, how good is good enough? I can roll over and I can say, God, thank you for your grace. That Jesus was good enough, so I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to measure up in some crazy standard, but I have to put my trust in him. It's amazing that King Solomon sees this because it would be another thousand years before King Jesus would come and live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, be raised from the dead, and promises the Holy Spirit to change you to anyone who would put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Friends, the word of God consistently warns us not to discount God by wickedness, but not to discount the Lord Jesus Christ by empty religious practices. Because if you do, you won't make heaven. G.K. Chesterton was right. The problem is us. We can't make ourselves righteous. Only the Lord Jesus can. That's why Jesus said, Mark 9, 13, He said, For I did not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. Now, some people were like, talking to those people over there. Hope he heard that message, right? (laughs) Got to get a copy of the message. I know who needs this. (laughs) You, (laughs) right? (laughs) Me. So why didn't Jesus come to call the righteous? Because there were none to call. (laughs) There were none to call. None are righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. John 10, 27 through 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And a lot of people think, well, that's the Ouija board, right? No, he's, he's talking about eternal life. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then he says, and Jesus says, and I give them eternal life. Why? Because they can't earn it. I've got to give it to them. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Not even all of you who go around with that ridiculous statement that I hear some of you make. You know, like, oh, I can't forgive myself. Is your standard higher than God's? If you have eternal life, not even you can snatch you (laughs) out of his hand. Interesting, King Solomon had said here, there's only one man that he found. No women, but only one man. Jesus Christ is the only one who was righteous. He's the only one who was totally upright. And yet, he died a young man. He died in his young 30s. And here's the truth of the matter. No matter what anybody wants to tell you on television or sell a lot of Christian books, don't waste your money. Trusting Jesus Christ will not exempt you from the heartache of this world. Now, maybe less self-inflicted heartache, but not the general heartache that comes in this world. Trusting Jesus Christ will not exempt you from the pain of this world Trusting Jesus Christ will not guarantee you of long life on earth. It won't. But trusting Jesus Christ will guarantee you two remarkable things. Number one on earth, you will never be alone. You will never be alone. And number two, you have the forgiveness of sins in eternal life. You might not have long life. That's why we got to make every day count. we got to stop wasting our time. You might have long life, but you'll have eternal life. So here's the question. Have you found Jesus? Or better yet, are you willing to let Jesus find you? Are you willing to receive him as your Lord and as your Savior? Jesus loved people, man. Jesus helped people. And still, some had horrible things to say about him. He was perfect. And they crucified him on a cross. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. If he is willing to offer forgiveness for people who crucified him, how could you think that he's not willing to offer you forgiveness for some of the stuff that you've done? As we often say here, you can't be too bad to come to Jesus. You can only be too proud. But what did Jesus do in the confusion on the cross? The confu- I mean, it's just crazy. Read the gospel accounts. It's insane what's going on there. What did he do? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He put his trust in his heavenly Father. That's how you find God in a confusing world. You come to the foot of the cross 
you bring your sin and you say, please forgive me. And you say, I don't know what's going on in this world, Lord, but help me to keep my trust in you. I might not figure out what's going on in this world, but I know I'm going to find you when I seek you in the midst of all the confusion. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD copy of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.